this is not new for us. This has happened many times in the past. This is stupid. It's five years. I don't think it is. I think it's bullshit. Why? All right. Hello. Welcome to episode 127 of KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. I'm Ariel Cormendi. He is Adrian Trott. What's up? What's up? What's up, everybody? Good morning. Good morning. I'm feeling good today. Feeling good? feeling good today. Yeah, why? Why are you feeling good? Well, I got up a bit earlier than I have been lately. I've been a bit sluggish, but I got up at a good time today. And uh, What's a good time? Uh, quarter after six. I'd still mm-hmm. like to be a little bit earlier, but I'm, I was happy with that. And went for a little run on the treadmill. My office and my gym are one, so it works well. It's good. And... Um, yeah, had a good start to the day. I've accomplished a fair bit. My desk is a mess. Whenever my desk is a mess, it means a lot's going on. I can't stand a messy desk. Nor can I, but I, I don't think it's, I think I, it doesn't overly concern me other than drive me a little bit mad. But I think, you know, if you look at the desk of many successful, productive people, I suspect it's probably messy and most people's opinion i consider myself successful and productive and my desk is nice and tidy thank you 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 maybe spend too much time organizing it then maybe you could be more productive if you left it messy every sunday but hey you recently did a big purge i do big purges all the time every sunday every single sunday since you know so i take saturdays off sunday i kind of work half day yeah. And that half day that I work is preparing for the week in advance, making sure my calendar and my schedule are, you know, uh in order. And I organize my briefcase, I'll call it a briefcase, it's a bag with all my shit in it, my desk, I purge my emails, I clean up my desktops. Um so every so I start the week Clutter-free. Nice. It helps me stay organized and mentally uh, stable and clear-headed. Would you otherwise go insane? A little mad. Yeah, I I wouldn't go insane or mad. I would uh, just feel unsettled. And during COVID, I don't like having that unsettled feeling. Pre-COVID, my desk was a fucking mess because I didn't care. But we weren't stuck to working at the desk all the time. Right. So fair enough. And now you, you make me feel bad for having a messy desk. You should. <laughs> well, uh, nevertheless, I've been very, I feel very productive lately. Good for so you. It's not, it's not bothering me. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm glad you're having a good day and feeling good. Glad to uh, see you put some use to that. Uh, when was the last time you used that treadmill? I literally just said this morning. No, no, no. Previous to today, dumbass. Uh, uh, three days ago. Don't ask me when the time previous to that was. <laughs> because well, that I do not know. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, I know, I know what you were getting not, at. I was trying to avoid it. Not after you've dusted off the cobwebs. That's okay. That's okay. The last time I used mine was probably eight months, nine months ago. Yeah, I mean, I go through spurts. I've definitely got my money's worth. I bought it for a hundred bucks used from somebody. So, and I've had it. I think we've had it for maybe 
five to seven years, quite a while. And I go through spurts where I'll use it yeah. for next, you know, very consistent for a month, you know, once a day, once every couple of days. And uh, nevertheless, I've got my money's worth. But now think- I'm trying to build up the gym because I'm not going to the gym. So I need a home gym. And it's yeah, a staple. I think everybody's having those difficulties now. People have yeah. treadmills for years and years and go through all those spurts. So you're not alone, my friend. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what episode, episode is this? We think alike. Episode 127. 127. Yes, 127. And you brought up the topic today, so I'll let you announce it and talk about it a bit because I got to take a leak. All right, sounds good. I mean, I'm not even looking at the screen anymore anyway, so I wouldn't know whether or not you're sitting in front of me or not. I'm just staring at my um, my desktop here, got my internet browser open. So yesterday, uh, one of the team members sent a link to our team group chat. We've always got this great team group chat going on. And the link was regarding the proposed increase or overhaul of the stress test for mortgage approvals as it relates specifically to uninsured mortgages. And then um, shortly after that text message came through, I'm on a number of email lists for other real estate agents as they send out their whatever frequency, monthly, weekly, quarterly newsletters. Uh, I always like to see what people are sending out. And one local agent sent out one uh, an email where it was specifically discussing this. It's obviously a topic of conversation. Um, so if, you're, if you've been listening to the news, the bank regulator, this is the title of one of the articles from the Globe and Mail, says the bank regula- regulator restarts consultations on overhauling mortgage stress test after pandemic interruption. So First of all, this was supposed to happen a year ago. Back in March of 2020, they were proposing to increase the um, the rate and make it a little bit tougher with the stress test for uninsured mortgages. But due to the pandemic, they put a hold on it uh, because there was already enough going on that they thought was going to wreak havoc on the industry, which it clearly did not, as we personally predicted. Uh, But now that here we are a year later, the market has increased upwards of 30% in some regions. They're now reviewing this again. And I believe if I recall reading it correctly, that it could be implemented as early as end of May. Do you remember that, Ariel? I see you've joined us again. Sorry about that. You know, I'm... uh... I'll get off topic, but I've been drinking a lot of lemon water. Okay. And uh, I find it really helps. I find it really, really helps. I mean, a little bit of a uh, little bit of bloating at times. I don't know if that's normal with it, but uh, I've heard that that's uh, heartburn and, and some bloating could um, be the side effects of that. But a lot of lemon water, like I'm, I am consuming on average, probably 10 to 12 cups of water a day. Lemon water or half of it being lemon water. So I'll do like two or three cups of lemon water in the morning. How much lemon per glass? 
It's a good question. Half a lemon. Uh, How many lemons per day? One lemon per day. So I hear mixed reviews of the, the benefits of lemons. One, obviously there's positive. I, I actually don't know uh, like scientifically what the benefits are other than maybe cleaning your system out or something. But I've also heard negative side effects of too much can actually cause damage to your teeth. Potentially the enamel because of the acid uh, yeah. in it. But that can be said for a lot of fruits. Um, like if you eat uh, too many fruits or tomato sauces, red wine. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, those can all damage your enamel. Um, but yeah, last night, you know, Natalie made a nice dinner and I had uh, had a nice dinner. But dinner is at five o'clock in our house. And I'm usually up until 10, 11 o'clock at night. And at eight o'clock, I was starving. I had, I was just hungry. I, I guess I burned enough calories yesterday. Well, that's a long time to go if you're eating at five, not to eat again until midnight. It's a long time. I couldn't do that. What, a few hours? Well, you eat at five o'clock and then you go to bed at 11 or 12. That's a long time. Yeah, but most normal people would have a snack or I find actually drinking the water uh, oh, for st sure. stabilizes my hunger. Um, but, you know, some some vegetables like some carrots and, and um, cucumber, things like that. They're nice snacks. A lot of times I'll have a little bit of uh, hummus with some uh, vegetables, whatever. But last night I was just flat out hungry and I've been having a craving for the um, steak and cheese sandwich at um, Firehouse Subs. Yeah, I went there once. I wasn't overly happy. Not impressed. Not It didn't meet the expectations that were... The bar was set very high from people I'd spoken to. I think they make a good sub. Uh, one of my favorite, call it a hoagie, is, uh, is a good Philly steak sandwich. And um, there's a Philly steak place in town. Wasn't overly impressed. You know, I'm not a fan of the regular sub places like uh, Subway and Mr. Sub. So anyway, had a hankering for a uh, Philly steak, went over to Firehouse, grabbed myself a uh, foot long and ate it. And this morning I woke up and I'm like, ooh, going to have to going to have to drink some more water today. So so I'm sorry for uh, parting ways with you there, but uh that's what happens when you drink a lot of water. You got to make a lot of trips to the bathroom. That's fine. Um, I was entertaining the audience in the anyway, meantime. Anyway, so, you know, this announcement, uh, what what was the question you even asked me? I don't even remember. Maybe you should just go back to the washroom. I'll finish off the podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the um, Well, it's just been a topic of conversation. So I mentioned how one of the teammates yesterday in the group chat sent a link to the uh, no, no, no. What one. Did, what question did you ask me? But what? You asked me oh. a question. Oh, I asked you specifically uh, if you knew when the changes were... When the changes were... ...slated to be implemented. I, I believe it was the end of May. Yeah, who knows? Who cares? But the point is uh, they are heavily looking at it and it sounds like it's going to happen. Yeah, right? well... At the end of the day. 
Yeah, that's right. Now, this is not new for us. This has happened many times in the past. This is stupid. It's five bullshit. years. I don't think it's it bullshit. is. I think it's bullshit. Why? The last time they did it, it put some fear into the industry, we'll say, right? Realtors started saying, oh, this is going to affect first-time homebuyers and this and that. And then, you know, the market, like people in general, buyers in general, were like, oh, well, how is this going to affect us? And then mortgage agents throwing up their hands that saying, oh, this is bullshit. Now I'm going to actually have to work a little bit harder to get you approved. You know, like, fuck, everybody's doomsday over... We're talking 0.45%. So oh, I did no, the, no. I, I did I the don't math. Disagree. I did yeah. the math, okay, on the average home in Halton region. If you were to yes. put down 20%, which I don't know how many people are putting down 20 or above percent. Certainly most first-time home buyers aren't, but I'm going to talk about that in, in a second. It's less than 200 bucks a month. So it's a 50, basically about, for quick math, $42,000 on a mortgage. So you're going to be able to afford about, on an average home, $42,000 less. Right. Now, most people aren't buying homes at the top end of their mortgage approval limit anyways. That's debatable. That's debatable because the prices in the last, in the last 12 months... You know, and if you think 12 months ago was the peak of and, and the start of COVID. But since then, like, can you imagine during a pandemic, the average home price has increased anywhere from 20 to 30 percent in the popular GTA neighborhoods? Absolutely. Well, it's been I mean, it makes sense as to why there's been so much more interest. So the point here is that you're going to have to qualify at a higher rate, which means your buying power is $45,000 on average less if you're putting 20% down or more. Right. So one of the reasons that prompted me to talk about it was there was a bit of misinformation that I felt, what I felt was misinformation in a newsletter that I received from a local agent. And they were going on to say how, you know, they felt like it would affect the higher echelon of uh, buyers, so the people that can afford the higher end homes. And um, I agree with that because in the sense that um, most people moving to that price point, they're selling homes where they have substantial equity, certainly more than 20% of the purchase price of the new home. So yes, they will um, be affected and it may uh, result in that market being less competitive. Well, and then it has a trickle down effect. So I get it. Does. It does. I get it. Like, but you know who it's going to affect? It's going to affect people like you and I, people yeah. that are self-employed that have multiple properties, and uh, the numbers are tight. Like, if you and I were to go out and buy a uh, want to buy a new primary residence, um, I can assure you that the lending rate or the uh, lending ratio on our specific cases, the numbers are going to be really, really tight. So you look at it and you go, well, you know, my, my current home is worth whatever, 1.2, $1.3 million, which is relatively average as a detached home in, in our neighborhood. Um, but you only qualify for a home now that's a hundred grand more. So you look at it and you're like, why should 
I can't even upgrade, right? Like by no. the time I pay realtor fees, lawyer fees, land transfer tax, I'm basically I basically qualify for the home I have. That's what's going to happen in some of the higher end stuff or this some of the more expensive homes or for people that are self-employed or get bonus pay things of that nature but that's not the average buyer and no. um you know so i don't know but, but what's the point of this like why I think, well first i just want to get back to I, like, the, the, that email the newsletter i got the part about it that was misinformation in my opinion was they specifically said um that you know it may cost people to look at smaller homes so somebody looking at a semi may look at a town and someone in a town may consider a condo and they said they went as far as to say that it may result in first-time home buyers being priced out of the market um which is not the case because the vast majority of first-time home buyers do not have 20 percent down they have less than 20 percent down well even if they, they do like let's I, I didn't do that math but theoretically if you are a first time home buyer and you you know you skipped the wedding you've saved since you were in since you've been working let's say you're 30 years old and you want to buy your first home and you've been saving lots of money over the last 5 to 10 years you've been really diligent you skipped the wedding or had a destination wedding we've talked about that in the past and you 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 managed between you and your spouse you've managed to put aside or have an rsps to use towards your purchase you've got a couple hundred grand very reasonable to think that but now if you are unable to qualify at the level that you needed or wanted to purchase that house wouldn't you just simply put a little bit less down and reinvest that money into something else um you know and and bite the bullet pay a little bit of that insurance fee and then qualify at that lower rate like that's right so like it doesn't make any sense to me somebody that wants to buy a detached home and can afford a detached home they're not going to all of a sudden look at townhomes because this qualifier is 0.45% different than it was yesterday not no. going to happen they like, might move further out of the market that they were hoping to be in maybe and all of a you know sudden, now they upgrade. Like they say, okay, we were looking at Milton, but now we don't qualify for that detached home in Milton, which happened to be a 1,800-square-foot single-car garage home. But now we're going to go to Guelph and buy a 2,200-square-foot detached home with a double-car garage. So kiss my ass. That's right. You know what's interesting? Because we're you working said, at home anyway. Well, that's absolutely it. That's why all these other markets are going to boom because people don't need to commute into the office um something you just said i, I don't know if it was the direction you were going in with it uh, but um something about buying instead of investing in a primary residence which many will argue is not much of an investment um the first property being an investment property and i watched a video recently of arnold schwarzenegger who he's he was a multi-millionaire in the real estate with real estate investments before he ever got into movies in Hollywood. And no, before his, he was ever uh, getting any kind of paycheck, he was, right. he was an actor, but had to supplement his a, income. Exactly. So he, um, his big thing before he bought anything was he would, he refused to buy uh, real estate for personal use before he had one that was generating income so before he had to buy an income generating property first and then once he had that he would allow himself to buy a personal residence i think more people should do that i think more people should rent 
buy something that's generating income. It gives you more options. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past that you're, you're, you know, here's the thing. I mean, real estate appreciates over time. You buy the right place in the right location at the right price. It's still one of the most solid investments in the world. That's why there are so many investors from other countries that buy Canadian real estate. And it's not going to stop the prices from going up. And that's part of it is because of how stable the Canadian real estate market is. And it's recognized internationally as that type of an investment. So, you know, you couple that with the fact now here, here's another play on that, on that concept or that idea jennifer's trying to she she came into the office to pick up some umbrellas is she holding her breath or something to deliver some some umbrellas to our clients because uh rain lots of rain in the forecast this month um (laughs) and she's she's tiptoeing to try not make any any noise and she she's got her hazmat suit on so we're good um there are a lot of what here's, you know, and again, this is not a a platform for us to have predictions that we bet on. These are just our analyses and analyses. I don't know. What's the sounds word right. I'm looking sounds, for? Whatever. Sounds good. This is our analysis of what we think. That's it. And what I think is that there are a ton of older people that have owned real estate, primary residence and secondary residences that have increased in value so much since they've purchased it that they are now leveraging those properties and refinancing portions of it to gift to their children and grandchildren because they can't take it with them. And for taxation purposes on estates, why not refinance it while you're alive, gift it to your family that you can then watch, enjoy that inheritance or that equity, right? Like so Well, if they can so carry it, if if I mean not many people that are retired want to carry that debt. Yeah, but Maybe they hold even, back enough even to if they, carry it. Even if they can't. Like, let's say you're my you're my son and, hey, dad, you know, I've been trying to buy this house with my fiance. Uh, can you help me out? No. Um, maybe. That's my answer. Yeah, well, that's your answer because you're a dick. But no, because I'm going to make my kids work for it. Good. But there's a lot of people out there that would help their kids and co-sign as an example on a mortgage um or say bye jenny um or they'll say okay you need an extra hundred thousand dollars in cash to qualify i'll take the hundred thousand bucks out of my house and you pay me back you pay me the equivalent of what you you have a mortgage deal with your that family member on the side and you say, okay, behind the scenes, I'll lend you that hundred hundred grand. You pay me three hundred and twenty five bucks a month as a mortgage. 
Um, who knows? Whatever. There's you know lots of ways to arrive at those financial uh, agreements and financial decisions. And I think there's a lot of equity out in the marketplace where people aren't leveraging it. And it's not new either. I had no, a friend of mine back in, uh, geez, I can't remember, maybe more than 10, I mean, 15 years ago, his parents helped him buy his first condo. Then he sold it, paid them back. He still walked away with a bunch of equity. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because first time home buyers, usually three to five years, they get the itch, right? They, they For now sure. uh, need more space, want more space, want a backyard or had a kid or whatever. And then all of a sudden, instead of that townhome, now they want that semi or they want the detached home or they need it. And, yeah. um, but in that three to five years, even whatever, they've, you know, just think if you're a first time home buyer now and you buy a $900,000 house and it continues at this rate, three, 30%, that home is going to be worth, well, maybe that's going to be the extreme going forward, but it's going to be worth a million and a half soon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Well, this is the exact same conversa- conversation I had with a client recently. They're a young couple, first time home buyers. And the first house they looked at, which was um, not with me, it was with another agent. They didn't end up getting it. They were in multiple offers, but it was in the 1.3 range. And uh, they subsequently weren't happy. They came to us and in our initial conversations, I dug in and I was explaining them to them that, you know, the turnover for first time home buyers in that three to five year range. So, you know, why are you trying to find the perfect forever home when you're not going to be there forever? And then they ended up completely agreeing um, they, we changed their whole perspective of what they were looking for. We went out and saw some homes that were below million million dollars. They were all in the 900 to million dollar range. They saw options that they were completely satisfied with. And they recognized that in three years, probably they'll be selling it anyways. Uh, and it's a great stepping stone to then buy something that they can afford more easily. And that will suit their lifestyle, which at that time will probably be very different. It will probably look different. Maybe one or two kids on the way, different jobs, who knows? Yeah. I mean, my my recommendation to, and we're talking about first-time homebuyers specifically, I don't think this is going to affect first-time homebuyers uh, dramatically, especially because of work-from-home situations. Um and I do believe the younger generation that wants to buy homes, because there's a big percentage of younger people that have zero interest in buying homes. You know, um, I know somebody that makes very, very good money online and from very different... Is someone with like an OnlyFans page that you're friends with? No, but I mean, like you look at the people that have OnlyFans pages uh, that are, are killing it. They are it in. Not all of they them. They are but... killing it. And and yes. um, uh, what what's the other one? Um, the one for video games. Uh, oh, Twitch. I mean, that's Twitch. that's. I mean, that's like to the same degree as. I mean, that 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 can be said about all but, social media. Yeah, but they're they're getting multi sources of income that no generation has ever been able to accomplish certainly from working from home so this literally just need a phone that's it that's it 
That's it. There's there's a guy I was watching the other day who has an unbelievable following and makes, I don't know how much he makes, seven figures would not surprise me. Just does YouTube videos. All he does, he must have a GoPro strapped to his chin and he makes subs at Subway. That's his thing. His thing is making food at Subway. And he has like millions awesome. of followers. So That's anybody awesome. out there making excuses, get off your ass. There are no, no excuses anymore. And, and, you know, this is in a day and age where you don't even know what is going to make money unless you try it. So absolutely. Uh, but you think of all of the sources of opportunity for income. And I'll, I'll talk about this guy for a second because he, he, he works from home, um, doesn't have a, a fancy setup. But so he's making money from um, Twitch and from YouTube. Um, has some sponsors on Instagram because of that and sponsors on, on YouTube as well. So making, making different sources of recurring revenue, but also reinvests some of that income into um, shoes and flips shoes online because that's a big thing right now, right? Like uh, vintage shoes, like uh, Nikes are, are very popular. Um, lots of opportunities. Uh, he recently got into sports cards. Sports cards market has been on fire. Um, I've dabbled into that a bit myself and seen good uh, returns. You know, so so there's all kinds of opportunities to earn different streams of income, and and that's their interest. Not buying real estate, and they don't care that real estate's gone up thirty percent year over year because. You know that returns two to three hundred thousand bucks, but meanwhile, all these side hustles are returning, like you said, seven figures for some of these people, right? So, yeah. So that investment becomes different, and then they use that money to enjoy life and vacation when you can, and all that stuff. But, um, but the point here being that the people that do want to own and see the value in owning real estate and want to own their place and want to get settled down and start a family and all those things. Uh, they, I see that they typically have a plan. And when you be, when you have a plan and you want that, you might, you might shift your focus a little bit. Yes. Maybe there are some people that will go from a detached to a townhome. Maybe there are people that would go from, uh, you know, Oakville to Ancaster um, because of commuting and, and all those things. So it's not going to slow down the real estate market. It's just going to shift it a little tiny well, it's no, bit. It's no different than what you and I did when we moved from Oakville. It's like, yep. hey, let's sell our townhouses and buy detached homes for the same price 10 minutes north. That's what we did. So it's just going to fuel the other markets. And I think if somebody truly is becoming priced out of the market, but they still want to have their foot in it, that's when they need to look at, okay, well, maybe it doesn't need to be for me. Maybe it's a rental that's 45 minutes away and that gets my foot in the door. And then five so, years from so now. So the question becomes, why, does, why do the govern, governing bodies want to implement that change? And it's this... My my gut tells me it's their way of trying to slow down the fuel on the fire, right? Like to calm the craziness that's happening in the market. I think there's two sides to it. One is that, 
which I don't think it will affect it much at all, as we've seen. Come come closer to the mic. One is that. The other one is um, to, uh, you know, it goes back to what you said about the market, the North, well, Canada having one of the strongest real estate markets in the world, they want to maintain that. So by having stricter rules for getting approved, they're less concerned about people being uh, defaulting on their mortgage if things change down the road. Yeah, I mean, that is, you know, they're trying to put those safety nets in place. So a market crash like what happened in the U.S. doesn't happen here. Um, but again, the supply and demand in this country as a whole and the demand for properties in this country from international money is so strong that that's why we haven't seen a crash. Like even what people call a crash, which happened in 2017, wasn't a crash. Well, I think was, 5% uh, decline is considered a, a crash, which is marginal. So what's, what's a 10% increase considered? Well, that's, I think that's why by, by those standards, the numbers we've seen over the course of the last decade are probably considered not sustainable because by their definition, that's insane. Well, I would think. And, but here's, you know, to, to dig a little bit deeper. I wonder what our podcast would be like if we smoked some weed before we, we filmed one. Um, to dig a little deeper. Yes, I agree that the prices probably aren't sustainable to increase at the rate they've been increasing over the last few years. But you look at some major markets in the U.S. specifically, and you you, you got to think there's still a lot of money floating around. Like there are people that have money and it's so easy to make money these days or make a lot of money, right? Like 10 years, 20 years, 15, 15 the gap, years ago. The gap from, uh, like there will be no middle class at the rate it's going. It'll be, there will be very wealthy well, people. And I don't, be... I don't agree with that because there's, there's people that have very good stable jobs that are just happy doing what they're doing and want to have better family life, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to hustle 24 seven, uh, yada, yada. But the point being for me is that 15 to 20 years ago, if you were a millionaire, you, you were looked up as, you know, being something great, you know how many millionaires now are teenagers and and twenty somethings, and literally they're sitting at home eating Doritos, which before was not. I wouldn't even say it was just not possible. Not, right, not too long ago. Ex that's my there point. Was, yeah, there was no means of making that kind of money. My uh, my kids watch a show. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's. Um, it's a dad and his son and they they do dinosaur digs and things like that. You ever seen that on YouTube? And that's no. all they do. They have a YouTube channel and they do dinosaur digs, son and dad. And now it's... Is he know, like actually well, a paleontologist? No. They're just dad and kids like just out of dinosaurs. 
Uh, yep. Out of sheer pleasure and enjoyment. And they've built a company from their YouTube uh, channel. And the last I checked, which was probably six months ago or so, uh, and I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but the gross earnings of that company was upwards of $5 million in the year, in the calendar year. And can you imagine what their expenses are? Like a fraction of that. Even if it's half. Yeah. Here's a I mean, they obviously have a production team at that point. I don't know how but... old the kid is. Here's a, here's a young kid and his dad making two and a half million bucks doing YouTube videos. Right? That's the world we live in. 15, 20 years ago, to make half of that, you had to be an athlete, like a professional athlete. Yeah. Like Wayne yeah. Gretzky was making a, a million and a half, or well, maybe he was at the top of the scale, but you know what I mean? An average hockey player, NHL hockey player, 20 years ago, making a million and a half bucks was considered a superstar. So that's the world we live in. Uh, so there's mo- lots of money floating around. And, and, and the money that people are earning with these virtual means are coming globally. Well, that's the nice, that's easy. That's how they're able to do that. So you're not, you're not just selling into, like, if you have a product and you're selling it now, you're not just selling it to people in the Halton area. You're selling it to people worldwide, which means unlimited opportunity. And when there's unlimited opportunity for people to make money, a portion of the population is taking advantage of that. And that portion of the population is what what's putting extra fire onto the real estate market because they need a place to put all that money. And because real estate is such a sound investment in this country, that's where some of that money's going. Now you have people all over the world doing the same things. So you've got people in China selling things to people all over the world by virtual means. And now they're saying, what? Yes, I'm being expressive. I'm excited about this conversation. (laughs) So now that's why you've got all of this international money coming into Canada. You know, obviously we know some contacts in cottage country. There's a ton of people buying cottages in Ontario that don't live in this province. Yeah. There are a ton of people buying cottages in cottage country that don't live in Canada, that they're not Canadian citizens. I think it was not long ago, actually, that I think it was Huntsville, specifically Huntsville. I don't know if it was as broad as Muskoka, but I think it was narrow as narrow as Huntsville being rated one of the, or the number one place um to vacation in china wow yeah so you know you hear yeah, stuff I mean, like we, that as ontarians we don't think about it that way but this no. is a beautiful place to vacation and a safe place to vacation especially cottage country yeah you know if you live in if you live in a hot climate um you know it's a beautiful place to to visit in in the winter because people People that live, like you talk to Vishal on our team, he comes from a, a hot country. He actually doesn't like the heat. He likes the colder months. Right. Um, and there's a lot of people like that too, right? So it makes it for as a year-round destination. And a million-dollar cottage uh, to 
you know, somebody that's wealthy in Hong Kong where a million bucks will buy you a 300 square foot condo. Um, <laughs> it seems like a great deal, right? So, well, and that's the other thing with it too is uh, our market relative to many of the other big markets has hardly scratched the surface in terms of cost. Yeah. Well, people say uh, prices of Toronto condos, uh, tr- downtown Toronto condos are are expensive. Well, you can still buy a, you know, 700, 750 square foot condo, walking distance to everything, like close to Union Station for well under a million bucks. Um, a condo like that in Manhattan is twice amount, uh, twice the amount, if not more. In U.S. dollars, so in you're US, talking, yeah, yeah, you're talking, you know, two, three times that that amount, and um, you know, a lot of people will put Toronto up as one of the top five cities, um, certainly top ten city worldwide. Yeah, so there's still a lot of catching up to do with with some of those other big markets. And on that note, back to the topic of conversation as we wrap up. I don't suspect this change will have much of a, an effect on things. If it does, it'll be short lived, but help us, uh, help us become, help us help our company make $5 million a year. Like this father son (laughs) duo by commenting and rating the podcast for us. That's how it improves their searchability and exposure. Thanks everybody for listening. That's episode 127 of KT confidential. See you next week.